You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Let's go ahead and get on in here and we'll get started uh, because Lord knows there's enough to talk about today. Uh, I've learned that I really don't like topical sermons because it opens up like there's way too much to talk about on this stuff. I would prefer that we just have like a small portion. Like you remember how we pulled apart the uh, Lord's Prayer. So these topical sermons drive me bonkers because you have to take this 10,000 foot view to kind of figure out, especially with our core values, where we're coming from. Uh, So we've been going through these core values. Uh, Jacob's going to make fun of me if I don't turn this around so that my face is visible. Um, or we could just go like this and we'll pull it way down like that. Better? Better, Jacob? No? Oh, not better. Okay. Uh, anyway, so we're going through our core values and we've talked about uh, transparency, vulnerability, that sort of stuff. And that was real good. Ugh, terrible. And uh, not my favorite. And then uh, we talked about unity and diversity and we talked about... Uh, sacrificial generosity. And these are the first three. And now we're on to our fourth one, which is family. Uh, all of them are in your bulletin. If you, uh, I think it's on the back page of the bulletin. Uh, if you want to follow along with that or mark that up. But we're talking about family today, which makes sense because I am obviously the family guru at Mission Ridge. Seeing as of the two pastors, I have the biggest family. No, I, I live at home by myself with four betas. So, uh, Not really sure why Rob thought I should talk about family. Maybe it's because my family's got some crazy background to it. Um, I don't know. In my my family, we get along really well, but we do have uh, some odd tendencies and we like to fight and stuff. So maybe there's some good stuff to talk about there. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what comes out of that. Um, But the the place that I want to start today is just going through our core value. Let's just read this right off the top here. Uh, So I think it should be the first slide there. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Uh, But it's in there in the bulletin. It says, family, the primary metaphor for the church in the New Testament is that of family. The entire biblical narrative is relationally driven and seeks to bring peace between peoples. We at Mission Ridge will fight for healthy relationships over anything else to build healthy community. We're going to fight for healthy relationships. Um... So there's, there's kind of three concepts in this, in this core value that we string together. The primary metaphor in the church uh, in the New Testament is that of family. The entire biblical narrative, that's a small topic. Uh, like this, this is a constant theme in the bib- biblical narrative is relationship and family. And this is how God interacts with us. And this is what we see through that. So <clears throat> I want to start off by defining a family. What is the definition of a family? If you look it up in Merriam Web, uh, Miriam Webster, Web, Webster, Webster, I speak good. Uh, the Webster, the dictionary, that thing that we used to have in school, we could like look up words, and now you just Google them. Uh, but there's eight definitions for family, so I'm going I'm to run through these real fast. The first one, basic unit in society, traditionally consisting of two parents rearing their children. This can also include any social unit regarded as equivalent. I kind of paraphrased that last bit because it waxes eloquent in the dictionary. Uh, Next one, a group of individuals living under one roof and usually under one head. 
So we got a clan of people, one head, one leader. Uh, the next one is group of persons of common ancestry, like a clan or a, you know, something like that. Uh, we, you know, we're a family of a family tree, if you will. Uh, a group of people united by certain convictions of a common affiliation. This would be like a church family, right? This is like the fellowship of the ring. Like this is a family of people that are you, you've come together under this, and it can be used for that. That that terminology can be can be applied to it. Uh, a group of related plants or animals forming a category ranking above genus and below an order, dot, 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 because I didn't want to write out the rest of it. It's, that's the biology one. If you want to go study that, go back to your seventh grade biology class. Uh, the next one, I didn't know this, a set of curves or surfaces whose equations differ only in parameters. Probably because I didn't pay attention in geometry enough, but apparently that's also a family. Uh, Oh, you can also get them like elements, like a family of elements, you know, they break them up like that, periodic table, like this is how we, you know, family gets applied a lot. And my last, my favorite one here is a, a unit of a crime syndicate operating within a geographical area. That's my favorite definition of family, like the mafia, oh, I got an offer, something like that, right? Uh, the point is that in our society, we use this concept of family over a lot of stuff. It gets a lot of play. Family might be kind of important. It's like um, the Inuit people have like 30 different words for ice. We've got a ton of variations for this word family and this concept, and we apply it, and it's very central to who we are as humans. Um, I would say that across every culture, this is a thing. <clears throat> we need family. We are family-oriented creatures. Community is directly tied to our concept of family. When you look at a culture and how they, define, how they define what community is, you start studying that stuff. Sociologists and archaeologists, anthropologists, they study that sort of thing. And, and they pull this apart, and family is always tied in with community. The family structure, the community structure, it's all correlated. Okay? Because we're family-oriented creatures. There are countless studies that will show you how important family is to child development. Uh, I was going through some of these this week. There was one talking about resilience, um, child resilience, basically, which was basically how they adapt and they bounce back from setbacks. And the biggest defining factor in a child's resilience was if they had a single, just one, more was better, but one was the big deciding factor, if they had a single parent, like adult relationship in their life. So if they have that one solid adult relationship, then their resilience was exponentially better, which I thought was fascinating and maybe something that we could consider in how we live our lives. Um, that if you're, not, if you're not investing in the next generation, like ooh, we're missing out on a beautiful opportunity. But I digress. The other thing that I want to point out is we will seek out family. If we don't have it, we're going to seek it out and we're going to find it. This is how we end up with gangs. This is how we end up with uh, people that are so ridiculously dedicated to their favorite football team, right? Uh, oh, you're wearing Grizz today. I was going to use a kook joke, Rob. It's fine. He's wearing Grizz. His turncoat. <laughs> anyway, no, so you get the team's military. Like, we get the military creates a sense of family. Like, Rob's going to constantly talk about the Air Force and his time in the Air Force. Like, this was family for him, right? Uh, Navy, right? Yeah, same thing, right? Yeah, Tori was in the Navy. 
um, anchors away and such, clubs, etc. Like we find our community and we're going to latch on to those people and we're going to find out where we fit because we need family. Okay? So this is definitely a part of who we are as humans. Now to go through the biblical narrative, we were, we were brainstorming like, okay, what Bible story should we use to like talk about family and frame this around? And we had like a list of 20 on the board and they just kept, it kept getting longer, like from Adam and then Cain and Abel. And there was a lot of really depressive ones We're like Cain and Abel, not exactly the best family story, although maybe there's some redemption there. Who knows? Uh, Noah, etc. And we continue on. But the one that I wanted to use today that's, in my mind, the epitome of this, this frames this whole thing, is God meeting with his people at Sinai in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus covers, um, we see God create this marriage imagery in relationship with his people. And Sinai is the picture of the wedding covenant. We've talked about this a little bit before. And God says that if they uphold the covenant, they will become a kingdom of priests, Okay? This is, we're going to create this relationship between God's people and God. Okay? The first terms we see God give are now known as the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Suggestions, Ten Commandments, something like that, right? They're kind of important. Uh, and then we get 52 more terms, but we're not going to focus on those. So the first thing I want to focus on is the Ten Commandments. These are the terms of the covenant, which when, when you were doing a covenant back in the day, this is like a, similar to a blood covenant, uh, but you create this, both sides will create, like they, say, they state their terms. And the, you usually start with the, the weaker side going first, and then the, the stronger side comes in second. But in this case, we see God come down and he says, these are the terms that you need to abide by as part of this covenant that I'm creating with you. So, let's read out of Exodus 20 here. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He starts off by framing, this is who I am, I am the Lord your God, and this is what I have done. I brought you out of the, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. <clears throat> you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love thousands to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. But you shall not do, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter." your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. Uh, just as a side note, this is a huge chunk of this that he spends talking about the Sabbath and keeping it holy. It might be important. Also, I think there might be some chiasms in there. If that's your thing to go search out, it's kind of fun. Okay? Continuing on, therefore, though. 
Uh, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. I will not take your neighbor's green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. Uh, Sorry, that's all I can think of when I read that sort of thing. Like, you get these big lists, and they're rolling along. Um, this is how I read the Bible. Welcome to the brain of Logan. But the, the point that I want to make about all of these, because there's different ways of splitting these up. Uh, some, some people will look at this in the first, kind of the first four, first five. They'll look at these as authoritative between me and God. Like, I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me, right? Like, this is, well, that's my relationship with God, okay? Um, and then later on, you get these, like, horizontal, relational within community ones, right? And they'll break them up these ways, in the authoritative and the relational ones. Um, I think that there's a pretty easy case to be made that even the authoritative ones, for example, Sabbath, uh, for example, honoring your father and mother, some will break that. That one's really easy. That could be horizontal. Yeah, obviously father and mother, but it's also authoritative. It's how you respect God. But I think that all of these can be made, you can make a case for any of them, that this is how you relate to other people. For example, with the Sabbath, if I, yeah, that that might be between me and God. Like God says, yeah, take a rest so you can honor me. Okay, that sounds vertical. But if I'm a business owner and I make my employees work on the Sabbath or I don't ever, you know, regardless of if it's one day, if I just don't ever give them a day to take rest, that suddenly becomes a horizontal, how I'm relating to other people sort of concept. And they're all like this. Not taking the Lord's name in vain, that completely is how you're relating to other people because you carry the image of God. If I don't value the image of God that you carry or that I carry, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain, which means that how I have relationship with Josh is how I'm treating the Lord's name because he's carrying that. So I think that there's a case to be made for all of these being directly relational in how we interact, okay? So we start this this concept with God and his people, and they create this marriage covenant, and then they go into the desert, and that 40 years in the desert is like the honeymoon, like, ooh la la, that's a great honeymoon. Let's go eat manna and quail every day, insert veggie tail references there. Um, Like, it'd be great to have some French toast. But... Then we move on and God gives Leviticus, right? We've got Leviticus, which is the, it's this framework of how they're going to become the kingdom of priests, okay? Now, this is put, uh, they put the smack dab in, they put Israel, the, the concept is that God is going to make them this kingdom of priests, and then God places them smack dab in the middle of everything in the ancient world. Like, you've got these trade routes that are going through where ancient Israel was. They call it the Via Maris, okay? If you've, uh, if you've been going to the, the Tuesday night Bible study thing, we've been going through and reviewing all this stuff, and we've been talking about this. Uh, if you're interested in that, let me know. I can get you the videos. But uh, <clears throat> it's this Via Maris. All of the trade between the big empires of the day went down this coastal region, right? And God stuck his people right in the middle of it and said, you're going to live here and you're going to look really stinking weird. Like, you don't get to eat bacon. 
you don't get to cut the corners of your beards and follow the latest fashion trends. You're going to wear these really weird garments. You can't mix cloth. You got to wear these tassels. You're going to have weird hat things. Like, there's all these strange laws about how you're going to act, how you're going to look, how you're going to live. Okay? And the idea is that they are going to depict to the rest of the world in how they relate with the rest of the world who their God is. And this is, the, this is what we get in Leviticus. It's not just a bunch of boring rules. It's a really cool story. Okay? Now, many of these laws in Leviticus do directly revolve around how we interact from person to person. It's how I treat you. Okay? Uh, this, is a, this is a thing that I got from uh, Marty Solomon of how he breaks it down. This is his, his study on, on Leviticus. Uh, you can get it on his blog. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember what the website for the blog is, but I always just go to Google and type in Marty Solomon blog, and then it gets me there. So you can go find it there if you would like. It's interesting stuff that he has. But he breaks down the book of Leviticus into these sections. You've got the section on atonement, how we make ourselves right with God. God provides this avenue for becoming right with him. Then the priesthood. How the priests, because within the kingdom of Israel, you also had priests, and those priests were an example of how to look different within the kingdom of Israel. Like, they looked really weird. They did really weird stuff. They had extra rules that they had to follow, and then Israel was supposed to model that to the rest of the world, okay? So, you have this, this kingdom of priesthood, this priesthood laws, uh, this is an 8, and 12, 8 through 10 and 21 through 22 kind of bookends things, uh, Side note, there might be some chiasms in Leviticus if you wanted to go chase that down. Then we have how to live as priests in chapters 11 through 20, big section. And then how to party, which is my favorite part of Leviticus. Uh, They didn't tell me about that when I was growing up, that there was this whole section in Leviticus about how to party. God darn it, would have been way better. I would have been way more excited for church. Um, But the point being, if we are going to tell this story of a God who is good, we have to learn how to celebrate in community. And God outlines this. He's very strict about how, like, you're supposed to celebrate and you're supposed to revel in the glory and such. And I'm going to stop talking about that before I get myself in trouble. Uh, And then, then we finish it off with caring for the pressed. Because if we're going to be a family and we're going to have this, this mission that God is giving us, how are we going to carry out the mission? Well, we're going to care. One of, the, one, of the reason, one of the ways we're going to do it is we're going to care for the oppressed, the alien, the orphan, the widow. We're going to care for the oppressed. And it gives us these laws. Okay? God's plan is to bless all nations. Remember with Abraham, the idea is that he's going to bless all nations. It's not just like this one chunk of people. It's all nations are going to be blessed through you. Right? This is spreading out. <clears throat> God's family is growing, if you will. He's going to do this through his bride of Israel. Now, we're going to fast forward to the New Testament because if not, we're going to be here all day. If you haven't listened to the, ser- the series on Acts, we uh, did a, was it 10, 11-week series on the book of Acts uh, earlier, uh, I think it was kind of the spring right after Easter. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of this stuff ties back into that. So if you want more information on some of this stuff, go back and pull out some of those sermons. Um, That'll give you some more context. But specifically, we're going to talk about Galatians. Because in our, in our family, the, the family core value, we, we list these two verses out of Galatians. That were like, these really depict this. And I want to go, I want to explain why we pick those. Now, if you remember 
uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was teaching in Galatia. And we get this story of, of Paul, and I think he had Barnabas there with him. I believe it was the second, second, no, it was the first missionary journey, I think. And he goes up, and he's teaching in this, this church in Galatia, right? And this first day, he goes, first Sabbath, he goes there, and he teaches, and he, he says all this stuff, and he's talking about Jesus, and everybody likes it. Everybody, all, the, all, these, all these Jewish people like it. And what, uh, what happens then is they invite him back the next week, and Paul comes back, but so does the rest of the entire town, and suddenly it's very, very crowded, and then the, uh, the Jews don't, the, the, the established Jewish church there does not appreciate having all of these Gentiles, or what we would call a theosebes, okay, a God-fearing Gentile, show up and clutter up their worship, right? It'd be like if 200 people suddenly showed up, and all of a sudden we're packed in there real tight in here. Like, it'd be a little uncomfortable, and so there's a lot of stuff that we could wrestle with through this, this story, right? And so the, the letter to Galatians is Paul writing to this church, and it's a lot of theosebes, God-fearing Gentiles. They're not converting to Judaism, and in fact, they're wrestling with this because the Jewish church is not really like letting them in. There's the, all this push-pull of what do we do with them? How, do, how much can they do? Can they be a part? How, are they a part of the family, Right? And we talked about this back in Acts where they end up having this Jerusalem council to determine this. Well, that didn't exactly make it all go away. They continued to struggle with this concept of who's in, who's out. We never have arguments in the church nowadays over who's in and who's out. And whether you know, the crazy person who likes listening to, I don't know, rap can come to church or if we should fight over hymns and, and praise and chorus and stuff. You know, we never fight over that stuff, right? No, that never happens. And we never argue over little things that who's in, who's out, that probably shouldn't divide us. That's a little sarcasm there. We argue about that all the time. Um, so Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, and he, he kind of rails on them a little bit. Like, he, the, he starts off, one of the chapters starts off, you foolish Galatians. Like, he's, he's kind of railing on him. Like didn't, I, like, didn't I already spell out what you're supposed to do? And he spends a lot of time talking about that they don't need to follow the works of the law. We talked about this back in James, and we talked about it in Acts. With mixat ma'ase hatara, the works of the law, the stuff that makes you Jewish. Okay, and the Jews would look at this and say that this is what makes you part of the family, right? You have to follow kosher law. You have to observe our festivals. You have to do everything that they spelled out in Leviticus to be a kingdom of priests. You need to become like us. You got to take on circumcision. And there's so many of these letters that they're wrestling with this. But specifically in Galatia, Paul says, no, you don't need to do this. You're not justified by this. He talks about Abraham justified through faith, right? And there is, oh, we should, do a, we should do a Galatians series. We really should. Like, it's good stuff, okay? But he spends a lot of time saying that they don't need to become Jewish. They're already part of the family. He makes a, he makes a huge deal about them being in, which is where we get these verses. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 25 through 29. But now that faith has come, 
We are no longer under a guardian. He's talking about the law. He's, he's stated that, you know, you lived under the law and you were a slave to the law and the, the law was your guardian, the law being the Jewish all of the Leviticus, right? God's law that he provided, part of this covenant. And he says, like, you're no longer under this. You don't need to be under this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay? Let's point out there, sons of God, family. Continuing on, but now that faith is, uh, sorry, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male, there is no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not, like, this is not saying, like, suddenly it's anarchy and suddenly everybody was hermaphrodites. Like, that's not what he's, like, that's obviously not what he's saying. He's saying that there's no distinction. Nobody is raised up above each other. It's not like the Jews that were living out Mitzat Maaseher Hatarah were more Jesus-y, more cool, better in the eyes of God than the Gentiles who were not following that. Like, you're all equal. You're all equal. You're all free. This is all freedom in Christ, okay? This is what he's saying there. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Not just are you in, you are, Abra- you are now child, you are a child of Abraham. So he's calling these Gentiles who did not take on Judaism, he's calling them children of Abraham. He's saying you are completely in. You are one of the family. There is no distinguishment. Like we, can, we don't separate at all. You're all in. Okay, and then we come to this next section, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, which says very much the same thing. He's driving home this point over and over and over. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, adoptions as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. Um, We really should have been singing No Longer Slaves this week instead of last week. I've done that twice now where I'm like, that would have been great the next week. Um, Because that's exactly what this is. Okay, but I want to point out here, Abba, Father. So the Spirit comes into our hearts, and it's it's drawing us into this relationship with God, where He is our Father. Right? We talked about this in the Lord's Prayer series. God is our Father. This relationship of it's not just some deity out there; it's this intimate relationship that God is our Dad, and we're loved by Him. Like that's He's driving this home. It's all family. Okay. This propels the narrative. But what do we do with that, though? So it's clear we don't need to live by the works of the law. Not too many people are arguing that now. Kind of, Paul kind of settled that. Okay. But we do remember the sermon on the Jerusalem Council where we talked about there, there are ethics, right? So there are ethics that we, because it's not just free, like, free willy, we get to do whatever we want, we can just go run rampant and... There's no morals and no ethics and like chaos ensues. That's not what, that's not what he's saying. 
We've still got rules. We've got uh, like the Noahic covenant that everyone's under, no idols, um, respect for life, sexual ethic that they determined at the Jerusalem Council. Like the, the Gentiles need to live this out. This is what they need to live out. Okay. Where did the Ten Commandments fall in this? I think that those are still probably pretty good for us to follow out. And it would, be, it would possibly be interesting if Jesus had some teachings that maybe included that bit. Oh, wait, he does, which is where we're going to go next. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we should probably listen to his teachings. And he's got this one teaching that we really love to quote, but it's really hard to live out. Okay? And so we go to Matthew 22. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, what is the, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That sounds a lot like those authoritative ones in the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me, right? All of those are, this is how you love God, Okay. And the second is like it. He tacks this other one on. Uh, now, this was a debate that was going on back in the day. The, this is something that the rabbis, that the, the Jewish leaders, the, the theologians of the day would argue about because there were different trains of thinking of whether it was, you know, love the Lord your God was the greatest commandment or maybe uh, whether obedience was the, obedience to the law was the, the greatest commandment. Like they, and they would determine, because they had 613 laws or something like that out of, out of Leviticus, like it's a ton of laws, and then they built more around it. Like there's all these laws, and you have to determine which ones outrank, like what's your driving ethic? What, what's the pinnacle that says, I will never break this despite anything else? These laws are all subservient to this one. And so this was a debate. The question, they weren't just trying to trip him up. Like this was a common question in the day. But then he tacks on this second one. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. He's saying that these two are right up here at the top. You got to love God and you got to love your neighbor. You got to love your neighbor and you got to love God. And those two, I think those two tie together. I don't think you can do one without the other. You can't love your neighbor and not love God. And even more so, I would say, you can't love God without loving your neighbor, because I think that's how we interact with God. We take care of his family. So what I see in all of this narrative throughout the Bible is God is interacting with people, is God is interacting with his children, is that God's design for your life is to be lived in healthy community. This is our implication. God's design, God's desire for your life is to be lived in healthy community. We desperately need to be in community that is healthy so that we can love God and while we're loving our neighbors, right? This is, this is what Jesus commands us to do. And, and I don't think you can follow that command without being in a healthy community. I think that it really, if you're not in a healthy community, it, it sure as heck gets in the way of following that command. So let's talk about how we can apply this. Because it's one thing to say it, but like, let's give, us, let's give ourselves some actionable steps here. So if we need to live our life in a healthy community, application point number one here, 
If you want healthy community, if we want to live in a healthy community, then build healthy relationships. If I want to live in a healthy community, I have to build healthy relationships because those are, the, those are the Lego blocks that build up the community. If I don't have healthy relationships, I won't have healthy community. Okay? And I think all of you know what unhealthy community looks like because if you're going to have jacked up relationships, then your community ends up looking pretty wonked out, right? You get some, you, you got nasty relationships and it's all, you know, cutting and gossipy and stuff and, and nobody likes being a part of that community. You've probably experienced that. If you haven't, good on you. If you don't know what healthy community looks like, if you, if you haven't experienced that or you find yourself in a place where you don't have healthy community, then I would suggest that you look at the relationships that you have in your life. Because if you don't have healthy relationships, you won't have healthy community. So the inverse is true. If I don't have healthy community, that means I probably don't have healthy relationships. And I should look at those and figure out what I need to do to change that. Conveniently, the next application point here is, if you want healthy relationships, then love the person as yourself. Okay? If you want to live out a healthy relationship with someone, then you need to love them as you would yourself. Now, the first part of this is that you have to learn how to love yourself, which is a lot harder for some of us than it should be. It's pretty easy to say, get down on yourself. It's pretty easy to buy into the lie that you're not good enough, that something's wrong with you, that you're broken. It's really easy to do that. I'm not just saying that, like, it's easy to do that. I've done that. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that we are, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God, and God said that I am good. He loves me. He determined that I have something in me that is worth redeeming. And that's pretty cool. And that applies to everybody. And if we don't get that piece first, how on earth could I ever value and love someone else if I don't love and value myself? So the second part is to love people as much as you love yourself. So we get that lined up. We create, we, we, step one, make ourselves a narcissist right? And then step two, direct that outwards. <laughs> I'm now going to direct my narcissism outwards to everybody else. You're all just as great as I am. Like, I don't know. I just think that's kind of funny. Step three is prosper, just for you, Josh. But uh, so we, we love ourselves and we love other people. This is how we create a healthy relationship. If you do this, you're going to have healthy relationships. <sighs> But what if, I, what if I'm struggling with loving myself? What if I'm struggling with loving people? What if I don't know what that looks like? Let's take it down a little further then. If you want to love people and you want to love yourself, then you have to love God. Learn to love God. Just love God. If you start working on that relationship between me and God and I start diving into that and talking with him and getting into his word, right? every day in relationship with him. One, I don't think you'll have any choice but to love God. 
I've never had a good relationship going with him and not been overflowing with love for him because of what he's done, because of what he says about me. I think the only way to not love God is to distance yourself and cut your, you got to cut yourself off from him because he loves you so much. It's only like, it's going to go back. It's going to reflect. You're going to catch on. It's like a ridiculously hard to break virus. The God virus. I don't know. There's a book title in there somewhere. Um, be super edgy. But you can't learn to love yourself until you love God. That's, that's where all of this, at, at the very core of this entire thing, is you have to learn to love God. So, when we love God, then we can learn to love ourselves. When we can love ourselves, we can learn to love other people. When we love other people and ourselves, we create a community, we create, we create relationships that are healthy. Not just good relationships, healthy relationships, which is very similar to our transparency and our unity and our sacrificial generosity. It's like these all tie together because these all stack and they all create different aspects of how we create a healthy community. And so if we at Mission Ridge want to impact the world, we want to impact Missoula, and we want to build that kind of community, this is what we need to do. So we're going to move into our time of communion, which is a community thing. Uh, Here at Mission Ridge, we have an open table. What that means is that if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you believe that Christ is your Lord and Savior, we would love to have you join us for communion. Um, A second here, I'll have you come down. We'll grab the elements, the cracker, the matzah bread, and uh, and a cup of juice, a shot of juice. And uh, we'll go back to our seats, and then we'll take it all, all together here in a moment. So go ahead and come on down and grab the elements. And so... On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples. They were going through Passover. They're celebrating the Passover meal. One of the celebrations that's talked about in Leviticus there. To celebrate what God had done for them, right? And they're celebrating this meal, and at, at one point, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And uh, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And then he said, This is my body which is for you, calling back, calling back, creating this new covenant, right? Calling back to this, saying, this is my body that I'm sacrificing for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. And a little later on in the meal, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember that. God, we thank you that you would love us so much, that you would care for us to the point of sending your own flesh and blood down to live among us, to build community with us, to impart wisdom and to ultimately sacrifice himself for us. That you would love us that much is absolutely crazy. 
incomprehensible. And we celebrate that today, God. That we can be grafted into a family that you have created, that you have built over the centuries, over the millennia, and that we can be called your children, that we can be part of your priesthood, part of your family. And Lord, today we pray that you would bring us to the place that we can live that out well. Grow us and develop us into the children that you would have us be. Help us to grow and foster that community here. To be a beacon of hope for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.